calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Welcome to another episode of Tech 15. Uh, my name is Srinivas Kunte. I'm the Director for Continuing Education and Advocacy at CFA Institute. For today's episode, we have with us uh, John Brunel, CFA. John is the Managing Principal of Brunel Associates, a firm that serves ultra-high net worth individuals and their advisors. Prior to founding Brunel Associates, John served as the Chief Investment Officer of JP Morgan's Global Private Bank and as a director and member of the executive committee of J.P. Morgan Investment Management. Mr. Brunel is the editor of the Journal of Wealth Management and has authored a number of books that provide practical frameworks in wealth management. In today's Tech 15 interview, John is going to share with us his insights on setting up a goal-based wealth management practice. Uh, welcome, John. Thank you. So, uh, John, if you could please walk us through, you know, what are the most essential parts of the framework in a goal-based uh, wealth management practice? Okay, well, uh, to a large extent, you can make it very simple. You can make it quite complicated. So let's keep it simple. Um, what, you, what you try to do is you try to identify what the goals of the investors are. And open parenthesis, by the way, the major difference between an institution and an individual is that institutions have usually have one goal, one time frame, one risk tolerance, and individuals have multiple goals, each with its own time frame and each with its own urgency. Another word, another way of saying risk, close parenthesis. So you, you go through an exercise of identifying all of the goals identifying for each of the goals what portion of the total capital available, financial capital available is needed to defease that goal. And then you identify a portfolio, a sub-portfolio, one per goal, that generally makes sense given the, the characteristics of the goal in terms of time frame, tolerance for risk or that's as good a word as any. And once you have that, so you have as many sub-portfolios as you have goals, and once you have that, you combine all of, the, all of those sub-portfolios into an aggregate portfolio, and that becomes your policy. So if an uh, individual investment advisor, uh, she wants to set up a practice, uh, a goal-based wealth management practice, what are the most difficult parts of this framework? What are the two or three most difficult parts of this framework for her to set up a goal-based wealth management practice? Well, I think that the most difficult part is to accept that what she's going to be doing is not what she may have been doing before for an institution. Because usually what we do is we take what we've been doing and we plunk our new clients into that, that model and that doesn't work. So that's difficult because y you, know, you may not be convinced at the outset and you have to 
you know, you, you can be convinced in two ways. You can either believe what little literature there is, or you have to fail a number of times. So that's a great difficulty. Once you have done that, uh, you have to decide whether you want to do things in a complex manner or in a simple manner. Um, the best is complex, but you don't have to go to the best uh, as a first step, for instance, uh, in an environment like India. I suspect that sophisticated, optimized sub-portfolios comprising all sorts of different asset classes and strategies may well be overkill. Uh, by contrast, um, you know, for the clients, for instance, that we serve in the US, uh, which are very, very large families, we have developed, initially it was an Excel-based software, but now it's a MATLAB-based software, which quite frankly is pretty complicated. So that would be the second piece is decide how you do it, and then three, do it. So what is, what kind of time frame, suppose, uh, in investment advisor, she resigns from her firm and starts to say that I want to do this. What kind of time frame should she look at in terms of investing and then getting a return on her invested investment invested time? Well, I, you know, it can be it can actually that can be very quick. Okay. Uh, if you let's assume for a minute that the reason why she's resigned from her prior job is that she was not happy with the way. The, the, her prior firm was serving the client. So sh the, my first obstacle is gone. Okay, so that's the reason why she left. So there's time spent, zero. She needs to find a few, create a few sub-portfolios, model sub-portfolios in her mind that will kind <coughs> of reflect the risk time horizon trade-off for the client. I mean, you know, you can do that in, in in a week flat, right. possibly less, right. okay? Right. And then it becomes a case of, of, of getting the clients, and that's the tough part, because right. Right. there are certain places where, um, I mean, I, I don't wanna say that there are many places where clients are already convinced, because quite frankly, that's not true. We still have to work to convince, but we have people that are unhappy, but they don't know what they need to do to become happy. Right. Okay, so let's simply assume that in those places, it's not terribly hard. I mean, when, when we're introduced to a new client, um, there is usually no sale required. You know, they ask me, how do you do this? We tell them what we do, and they say, gee, I've been waiting for that. But there is a self-selection process that occurs here, which is a lot easier to do when you've been in business for 40 years, and right. it's a lot harder if you've been in business for five or 10 years, okay? Um, but there are other places, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking of places in Asia, where uh, goals-based wealth management is a mouthful and nobody knows what it is. Right. So you're going to need to establish yourself in front of your potential clients and that can be a you know that can last that can take rather a minute or it can take you know it's the story of the painting the painter that says this painting it represents 10 years of my time one day to paint it the rest to try and sell it it's about the same thing right so the, the biggest thing is the commitment uh, that the investment advisor 
has to have to be in goal-based investing and then she can build around the research platform, she can build around the processes uh, to, to create a, a good practice. Absolutely, and she does not, the most important element here, which I think we want our listeners, watchers, audience to recognize, is you do not need to make it into a super complex stuff. In my book, I describe something that's quite complex. Okay, that is represents, in my humble opinion, kind of the state of the art now, but you do not need a Formula One car right. as your starter car, right. okay? In one of your uh, writings or in your lectures, you had mentioned uh, the job of the investment advisor is to be a translator. So right. when she actually interfaces with the clients, what are some of the things uh, that should come out? How should she behave or, you know, what, what, what what should she do? Well, you know, I think it's all a question of recognizing that our our clients, our potential clients, are wealthy. They speak whatever language they speak. I mean, in India, from what you've told me and others, you speak a minimum of two dialects plus English and so forth. They should not have to learn jargon. And we tend to speak jargon. I call that jargon financialese, but it's it's jargon. So you need to get over that. And what that means is that the, the, the famous paper by, um, by uh, Das, Markowitz, Sheed, and Statman that, that's really made the difference. It transformed what I'd been trying to do since 2002. Uh, the paper came out in 2010, and it made it mainstream. You know, the, that famous, famous paper talks about the need to redefine risk as the required probability of success. Okay. If you think in terms of required probability of success, and I ask you as the potential client for this goal, whatever that goal is, what is your required probability of success? Your eyes are going to, glow, to you know, glaze over. But if I ask you, is it a need, a want, a wish, or a dream, those are words that you understand and there is a pretty strong chance that the way you understand them is the same as the way I understand them and anybody else for that matter. So if it's a need, it's something that's urgent. If it's a want, it's something that's highly desirable. If it's a wish, it's something that I'd love to have. And if it's a dream, you know, it's in the 50-50 range. Uh, I'll die with dreams that are unfulfilled. So what she needs to learn is to express herself in plain English, Hindi, German, uh, whatever, Japanese, okay? And that's the key, making sure that you speak the language of the client and you don't force the client to come into your language. Something that I've quoted, that I've said many times, and to be honest, I did not make that one up. It was given to me by a client because you learn from your mistake. And the client that particular day said to me, uh, he had asked a question, I can't remember what it was. I gave her a, an, an answer. And he said, Jean, I asked you what time it is. I did not ask you how to make a watch. And I have taken that on board forever because that was, that's the, the thing that made me think, okay, the client is asking you what time it is. Yes. Well, tell him or her what time it is. Yes. Yes. 
And so that's the, the thing she has to learn. And, and you have people, I have met people that are that way naturally. Right. You put them in front of a client or a potential client and they naturally have that interaction. Uh, they speak immediately in a language that's uh, you know, polite and so forth. That's the language of the clients. And there are others who are completely different and immediately start talking to you about the logarithm of this, the whatever of that, and the client gets lost. Right. So it's, it's, uh, is it about emotional intelligence? What are, what are some of the traits or what, what can the investment advisor do to bring herself up uh, to these soft skills uh, in, in understanding the language of the client and in speaking that language of the, of the client and empathizing with that? Of course, there is this thing that, you know, she has to put her client's interest first. But apart from that, in terms of, uh, are there any, any uh, uh, insights or advice? You could well, there are really two things here, I think. The first, you've said it, that's emotional intelligence. There are people that are naturally empathetic, and there are others who somehow um, do not necessarily understand what it is that the client's telling them. The second piece, I think, is to combine, and there is a little bit of a paradox in there, is to combine, A, a high level of self-confidence so that you do not go to the client for a matter that is truly your specialty and begin to negotiate with the client. Oh, you don't like the forecast for equities at 8%? You, would you prefer 10? You know, there are certain things that shouldn't be negotiable. When you go to see your doctor, you expect the doctor, medical doctor, to know what he's doing or right. she's doing, okay? So you have to have simultaneously the self-confidence of the, the professional who, who is convinced that she knows what she's doing and simultaneously the bedside manner of the doctor who can use plain English to explain to you what you have um, instead of giving you the name of every muscle in, in every bone in that area that troubles you, and you know, you say, okay, fine, and I, don't, I won't remember it. But emotional intelligence and being able to manage that trade-off between self-confidence and avoiding arrogance. We used to have, when I was at Morgan, you know, it's a long time ago, but we used to have a chairman, Sir Dennis Weatherstone, who once said, um, I want you guys to be self-confident, but I, don't, I want you guys to not go over the line in the sand that's arrogance. And it's there, you'll know when you cross it, and that's what I don't want you to do. Uh, at the time, I thought it was both very interesting, but also awfully hard. So, I mean, in terms of like goal-based investing, uh, you gave some very nice insights. But are there any competing approaches as such to goal-based investing? Or is it really uh, a core part of any investment advice? Well, I think that, I mean, what I'm going to say is very arrogant, so I've got to be very careful. Uh, I think that without a sense of goal, you're kidding yourself in, you know, Fundamentally, whether it's the General Motors pension fund or your or my money, 
any manager that we hire should be interested in meeting your goal, my goal, the pension fund goal. That should be clear, okay? And so, to a large extent, everybody does goals-based investing, whether they know it or they don't know it. So that, to me, is, if you will, key. So from that point of view, I don't think there is an alternative. Where the alternatives come in is that, you know, talking jargon for a minute, um, you have your financial capital and you have your human capital, okay? If you think, when Debbie and I talk about our children, you know, the oldest is not quite 40 and the youngest just turned 30, they have a lot more human capital than financial capital. The method I prescribe would be useless for them. Nothing short of useless because if you think about it, their net long cash, which is their future income or future savings technically, and from that point of view, they should be taking equity risk and be done with it, okay? Anything else um, is they will do only from the point of view that they don't trust themselves in downtimes to have the courage to buy more equity, okay? Yes. But that is not something that you can measure really. It's, uh, it, you know, you can assess. It's something that you do, right. okay? But as you get to the point where the two lines cross and the point where if you're my age, uh, one line is way below the other, not because I've got lots of money, but because I've got very little human capital left, okay? At that point, there is no alternative. If I don't plan for some of the things that need to be done, like paying our bills for the next five, 10 years, and some of the things that will happen later, like giving to the children, to charity, and so forth, if I don't plan for that and I don't recognize the difference between the two, you know, it's, I mentioned that earlier, but my old statistics professor used to say, if you put your head in the oven and your feet in the freezer, on average, you're comfortable. Well, that's what you're trying to do. If part of you, you know, it's the classic Mayor Statman thing about buying lottery ticket and life and, and insurance. Yes. Okay, it's a very well-known paradox, but it reflects two completely different goals. One says, I have accumulated something and by God, I don't want to lose it. Yes. And the other one says, but if I had more, I could achieve more dreams. Yes. yes. One last question uh, on technology and this robo-advisory. How much is myth? How much is reality? How should investment advisors look at it? Well, robo-advising, you know, it's the old, what I call the Geigo principle, garbage in, garbage out. Yes. You know, the difference between a computer and me is that the computer will make the same mistake every time and open parenthesis will do, will be a lot faster than I am, okay? But the computer will not do anything smarter than the smarts that went into the program that were built into the computer, okay? So there are certain robo-advisors who can give you, I could imagine a robo-advisor doing some decent goals-based work. Uh, I don't know how you train the people to ask the right questions and so forth, but I, I, I'd be stunned, frankly, if in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, this was not done via computer, okay? But the problem 
at times is that robo-advisors um, do not have really sophisticated things and they try quote-unquote let's keep it simple when there comes a point at which you keep it so simple that it's become stupid and that's what you have to avoid thank you very much for an insightful interview uh, thank you viewers for listening in for this tech 15. copyright 2017 cfa institute all rights reserved this program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.